Welcome back to the Four and Toe podcast. I'm so glad you guys could come back. Today, we are going to be talking about the overwhelming task of choosing curriculum. I'm going to go over a few things on how I have gone about choosing a curriculum. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I'm excited to share with you guys my experience and excited to talk you through it from my perspective. I have four points to kind of think through. And then just so you know, this is like a really scratch the surface overview. It's not uh, by any means exhaustive. This is just my observations on the thing too. So I'm sure in your process of thinking through what you want in a curriculum, you'll, you may find some other points um, that are like, well, this actually was more helpful in choosing a curriculum than what you said. So if you have those things and those suggestions, let me know and we will pull that up on another episode because I'm sure this will not be the last time that I talk about how to choose a curriculum. Here's the thing. In prefacing this whole episode, no one thing in my four years experience as a parent teacher and in my 10 years as a homeschool student myself, I've yet to meet a homeschool teacher parent who has kept the exact same curriculum all through their homeschooling career. There may be portions of it that they love when they first start out, but as your child grows, as you get to know yourself as a teacher and your child as a student, and then you have, if you have more than one child that you're homeschooling, that throws monkey wrenches into the whole thing, um, you will most likely go through different curriculum. I was actually just this last Saturday at a used curriculum sale and talking to a bunch of the moms there. Some I actually knew very few of the women there. I was in a new, new to me area and met some new moms outside of my homeschooling circle. And I made one comment to one of the moms. I said, you know, I have four kids. I have four different reading curriculum. I've used a different one for every kid. And that's just for the first three kids. I haven't even taught my youngest how to read yet. So just keep that in mind as we kind of go through this. Your styles of teaching, your children's learning, as you get to know them, things are going to change. And so you may be set on your curriculum now, but next year, things may be completely different. These are some of the points that I have had to learn. In choosing a curriculum, I've had to decide my teaching approach or my teaching style. And I, I didn't really know how to classify this, so I actually looked it up on the internet. And if you look up teach.com, there was an article there, and I will reference it in the show notes, that had four ver- four basic approaches to teaching. And they kind of fit on a graph. So there's, there's teacher-centered approach, and there's the student-centered approach. And then within each of those, you can do a high-tech approach or a low-tech approach. So let me explain those a little bit in case you've never heard of this stuff before. So with the teacher center approach, and this is a quote, students passively receive knowledge through lectures and direct instruction with the end goal of positive results from testing and assessment. For student-centered approach to teaching, the article I was reading, quote, the teacher's primary role is to coach and facilitate student learning and overall comprehension of material, measuring student learning through both formal and informal forms of assessment. Within those two, there's two different approaches. If you're student-centered and teacher-centered, 
you get the high-tech approach and the low-tech approach. The high-tech, to quote the article again, the use of technology to facilitate learning, including, and there was a list, and these are just a few things from the list, G Suite, use of laptops, and online learning. There's also the low-tech approach, learning by doing, hands-on experience, real-world learning rather than virtual-world learning. Everybody does homeschool differently. Um, you, there are online courses you can put your children into um, that have full curriculum built into the online com- in, into an online community with teachers and, and such. And some of these I've heard great things about. I don't have any names right off the top of my head, so um, I'm sorry, I... I never went that route because it was not the way I teach. But I do know several families in my circle of homeschool friends that use online curriculum and have their children work through their schoolwork from the on the internet. And if you're interested in any of those, just send me a message and let me know. I will get the names from my friends and let you know what they are. You can also Google it as well. So when I thought about myself and the way I like to teach, I am much more the student-centered low-tech approach. Um, I don't do well lecturing to a group of children. I go towards the more hands-on style. Um, Within homeschooling, you can do a lot of different styles as well. You have the Charlotte Mason teaching, which is a lot of nature, um, being out in nature and just coming up with like doing all kinds of unit studies. Then there's the child-led where you let the child decide what you're going to learn. I don't know a lot about these because where I fall is more into the classical style. Um, And so I will be doing some more research in the future to kind of expound on each of those. Um, I also um, recently came in contact with the wild and free movement, which I'm going to do some more research on as well and do an episode later about that movement as well, because to me, this is all very new. Um, Being that I am a second generation homeschooler, I got to see firsthand teaching from textbooks, teaching from living books, and see the difference between those two. I saw the difference between textbooks and unit studies as well, and I got to see how unit studies work as opposed to just working through a study guide or a textbook. So getting to know how you teach best is a process. And if you are not someone like me who just knew before you go, you went into it how you teach and how you best like to give instruction, this is going to be something that you, you will test and try on for size. And I want to give you encouragement. It's okay to try something to figure out if you like it or not. Um, if buy a book on Charlotte Mason teaching style and try it on for size. If you don't like it, don't do it. Um, if there is classical conversations, which is um, very academic, highly um, involved, I every kid I've ever known to go through the classical conversations, they are unbelievably like, wow, um, they know their stuff. Let's just put it that way. It's a very comprehensive study program, um, homeschooling program, that's like, as it's been described to me, it's the backbone of most people who are in the program. It's the backbone of their homeschool, and then they supplement off of there and kind of go off from there. I've not heard anything really bad about it, but and I've wanted to try it. However, I have other things to think about, and that's one of my other points. So we'll get, that's point number three, kids with disabilities and struggles. So we're going to go to my second point was about student 
uh, learning styles, children's learning styles. I have a list of learning styles that I know about just because of how I've watched my children learn and uh, observed how they learn best. Timeforlearning.com, that's time for the number four learning.com, had an article about teaching to kids learning styles. And so there's, they have a list here of seven basic learning styles that they've observed. So you have the visual learners who prefer images and pictures, oral learners who prefer auditory musical use of sound and music to learn. You have the verbal learners who who are heavy in linguistics, the use of speech, the use of words and writing. They learn best that way. There's also the physical learners, the kinesthetic learners, the use of body and hands and touch to learn. There's also the logical learners who are heavy mathematical understanding and they use they use a lot of logic to learn that makes sense to them. There's also the social, which is the interpersonal group setting learning uh, students, and then you have the solitary or the intrapersonal who like to work alone and they learn best that way. Sometimes I think that kids have a uh, combination of these. I know for myself, just thinking how I learn best, I am oral and verbal at the same time. I I love the I love read alouds. Um, this I. I am on the Sarah McKenzie train, if you have not figured that out yet. And if you don't know who she is, she wrote a book called The Read Aloud Family, and she has had a podcast called The Read Aloud Revival for several years now. And she just basically has done her research and shown that if you are reading aloud to your children, you're doing them the biggest service possible. And no matter their age, whether they're reading age, whether they are preschoolers, all the way to high schoolers, um, always reading aloud to your children, uh, there is only benefits for it. And she has, like, her book, oh my gosh, it just inspired me so much. Um, I read it with a online group of friends over the Christmas break this last Christmas, 2018. And I, like, <laughs> it just set me on fire, both um, in a couple of my businesses and as well as my homeschool. I was so excited about it. So anyway, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. And for the way my children learn, they are like me in that they are verbal and oral. And I do have some other, there are a few other bits and pieces of these um, learning styles that my kids are as well. But for the most part, we're very similar. Being that they are my children and my husband's children, um, we, (laughs) they learn like us. So oral and verbal. (laughs) Um, I think most of my kids, all of my children at one point in their life have been kinesthetic learners. That said, my oldest, as she's gotten, now that she's older and she's finishing up third grade at the moment, I'm finding that the even though she does like the kinesthetic hands-on approach to things and she is very artistic, um, if you give her a picture or a visual of something, she grasps the concept um, as well. And so she, um, I'm wondering as she gets older if the kinesthetic just falls away, which I think a lot of kids, if not most, when they're very young, are all kinesthetic learners. That's just how they experience life, especially when they don't have words to use. Think, think about your babies. When your kids are babies, they don't have like words to use. And so they're mimicking. That's why you teach sign language to babies at young ages, because um, all of my kids had a few words. They had about like, 10 words apiece in sign language that they could say bef- and make their needs and wants known before they ever had the actual words coming out of their mouth and they couldn't form the words with their mouths. They could form the picture with their hands and physically use their body to express to me what they wanted. And so 
I think every kid is kinesthetic. And as they get older and they learn, um, they um, their learning styles develop and will change um, as they get older. I have no scientific background on that, too. I have nothing to base that on except for my observations of my own four children. So that's just my own my own thing. I think my older daughter as well, in some settings, she's really great at social learning, group dynamic. But there are some things when it comes to math, the best way to get her to focus on her math is to put her in her room and shut the door. And if she has a problem with some one of her problems, then she can't figure it out. She comes to me. But for the majority of the time, if she is solitary, like alone in her room with her math blocks and her book and her pencil, she can figure out almost all the problems without a single problem, without anything really being wrong. My other two that are in school right now are totally great at the group learning and they sit there and do all their math while they're talking to each other and it's no problem. But again, like I said, I think this is something that's developed and grown. With that learning style, the way you want to look through that is to think about how your kids learn. And then as you're looking through a curriculum, keep in mind, is this something that my verbally, my verbal child would uh, learn from? If it's a textbook and you're reading a textbook to a child who's verbal or oral, textbooks work. For my child who is kinesthetic, my son, a textbook does not work. He has to get his hands in there and he needs to do the things. My visual daughter doesn't do as well with with the read-alouds, but she does have enough maturity to know that I need to sit and listen to the story. And she's able to give me a synopsis of what we read because she has the discipline to work through that. That's just something to think about with your learning styles and how to choose a curriculum based on your children's learning styles. Because ultimately, isn't that the goal is getting them to learn, right? Or helping facilitate them to learn. And so if you have something that have a curriculum that they aren't really, that doesn't really match their learning style, it won't, they won't grasp the topics or the subjects or the points that you're trying to get across to them very well. Another point to think through is whether or not your children have disabilities or struggles. So this is where um, we're going to talk about my daughter with dyslexia. My second daughter has dyslexia, or at least she has all the signs of it. We haven't had her fully um, officially tested, but um, this last fall, in the fall of 2018, I went to my first homeschool conference. It was a small conference in Pittsburgh. I went because they had a lady sharing a breakout session on teaching children with dyslexia. And I told my husband, I said, I am going to spend the time and the money for that one session. It ended up being really great. There were a bunch of other speakers as well that I really gleaned a lot from. But man, that one hour sitting with that lady explaining um, dyslexia to, to me and the others in the room was invaluable, I must say. And she gave a list of um, things to watch for to know if your child is dyslexic and I can't remember how many things were on the list. I want to say there were like nine things on the list. And my second daughter, I I could follow every single one of them. I'm like, hmm, okay. I think my daughter's dyslexic. And I had already kind of thought that she might be. That said, knowing that about her, I have had to think through picking curriculum for that, specifically reading curriculum. With my oldest daughter, I tried two different reading programs. The first reading program I tried I did not like how it worked. My older daughter learned to read from it, but I did not like how it was working. The second one I chose, I loved how it worked for her, and she just took off, and she is the most avid reader in the world. So I thought, well, I'll use this same one with my second daughter. This was before I knew her struggles. 
And so we started working with her. And I'm, I'm not even kidding you, like the first 26 lessons of this program, which I'll talk to you more in depth later, but the first 26 lessons are explaining the phonetic sounds of the letters. So lesson one is A. We spent probably three months working on A. She could not figure it out. So as soon as I changed tactics, I changed curriculum. Last year, it was in her kindergarten year, I changed curriculum. And I said, let's try this one. And after one month in the new curriculum, she was reading three-letter words. It was an overnight thing. Partly, I think it was an age thing, but also it was the approach was different. And I had to think through her struggle and teach to her struggle and not expect her to learn the same way as her older sister. The last thing you need to think about when choosing a curriculum is how many kids you have. Seeing as how we have four, I have to think through that. If you're going to pick a curriculum that has workbooks, are you willing to buy new workbooks for every student as they come through that grade level, especially if you have kids that are in different grade levels? How many kids are you using this? So how many times are you going to have to buy the same workbook if you're going to go the workbook route? There are some curriculum that that is what the curriculum is, like life packs are workbooks. And for some kids, that's the best thing for them. I think my oldest daughter would do really, really well with life packs. For me, myself, I don't like that kind of thing. I'm not a, a really great writer. I'm, I don't like to sit and fill out the blanks in a page on a page and learn that right, that way. I don't do very well with that. So I would much rather read a book or listen to somebody read a book to me. Um, and that makes more sense to, to me. And my other two that are in school right now, of the four, three of them are in school. So the middle two who are doing school right now, they are so much more kinesthetic learners that workbooks, like I even have those preschool workbooks, like color this square red. They don't do them. They don't like them. They really don't have any enjoyment in it. My youngest though, who's three, she has her preschool pages and she works through that binder of hers all the time. She loves it. <laughs> so I think I'm going to have a whole slew of different types of learning. But I have specifically picked my history, science, and geography curriculum to be able to cater to all of my children in school at the same time. So I can teach one thing, like this year we did... Uh, we did a social studies program that went around the world, and I will talk more about that later. And we studied a country a month, and I made, we studied China one month. So in that month, my youngest uh, drew colored pictures. My, uh, my son, he's number three, he gave me a synopsis, two sentences of what he learned. And so he told me Genghis Khan killed people. All right, great. That was his line. My daughter, who's in first grade, she had to give me three sentences of what she learned about the art of China, which she gave me. I dictated it, and then she copied it. And so she could practice her writing that way. My oldest, she had to just straight up write five sentences. And so we kind of, that was after we'd studied for a month. We all re we read the same books together. Um, I think I gave my oldest daughter and my second daughter um, a book 
a little bit more in-depth hit of the history of China than the other kids. But for the most part, the youngest was interested in the animals. Everybody else was interested in Genghis Khan and the art. And they were all into the animals. But anyway, so yeah, I have to think through what I'm going to teach and how many times am I going to repeat something? Because you get your... I taught early American history to my oldest daughter when she was in first grade, but we're coming up on her fourth grade year and I'm going to be reteaching it to her because I have two more kids that are coming in at first and second grade this next year and they've never had early American history. So how are we going to approach that? Well, we'll talk about that in another episode. So where do you go to find curriculum? Three thoughts. One, the internet. Two, your homeschool friends. And three, curriculum fairs or homeschool conferences. I have not been to big homeschool conferences yet. I'm looking forward to the day that I get to go to one, but I'm told that they are unbelievably overwhelming, but amazingly awesome. It depends on your personality. If you like to be in huge crowds and like to be overwhelmed, um, but it's worth a shot going to at least one. Like I said, I went to a a small one and it was the highlight of my homeschool career. Just being able to be around other homeschool moms Even though I didn't know really anybody there, it was great to be in the environment, seeing the different curriculum, being able to touch and hold the books, um, look through things, hear people's different perspectives. It was it was wonderful. So they had like tables of books with different curriculum companies that were able to talk to you about what they had, what their products were. And then they had speakers and the breakout sessions. And then there was even a used curriculum sale in the basement over the lunch break. It was wonderful. Homeschool moms connect with a homeschool mom. Just find one. All you need to do is find one. And once you find one, you'll find more because that's part of building your tribe, which again, I'll talk about that in another episode as well, because I think it's super important to have um, homeschool friends, homeschool moms that you can connect with. So those moms, I have been so invaluable. I, I have changed my reading programs and my grammar programs and my science programs as a result of the moms that I know, talking to them, letting the looking through what they use to teach their kids, finding out what works for them and doing what they do, basically. And I I don't know how many people I think there are at least two moms that come to the top of my head, maybe three that have changed their math program to the one that I'm using, because they did the same thing with me. Like what works for you? Well, this works. Okay, let's do that. Talk to your mom friends. I think having a day like every couple months with homeschool moms getting together just to talk shop is so valuable. And I I love, love, love when I'm able to get together with my homeschool mom friends. Even if I don't know them like super, super well, let's talk shop. Let's get our stuff together. And let's just talk. Let's see what there is. And it's to me so incredibly helpful. The other thing you can do is look up reviews online. There's two websites that I've used. There's KathyDuffyReviews.com, Kathy with a C, C-A-T-H-D-U-F-F-Y, KathyDuffyReviews.com. She has a whole bunch of reviews on different curriculum, and she has them all broken down into subject or style, teaching style, and she has some great reviews there. Another one that I found was Homeschool-Curriculum-Reviews.com. That one is a little bit more open source. Thinking through all of that is something to work through as you're choosing curriculum. All right, I'm hiding in my closet uh, trying to 
put together an outro for this episode so I can send it out to y'all this weekend. But I had a couple thoughts before I got going. I didn't realize going into this episode that I had so much to say about how to choose a curriculum or what to think through when choosing a curriculum. And so I started recording and just just talked and didn't stop. Um, uh, My initial recording of the episode was almost an hour long. And in an effort to keep these episodes between 15 and 20 minutes, I edited it down. Uh, I had gone on several tangents, so it worked out pretty well. But that said, I still have another 15 to 20 minutes of, of recording that I really want to put out. So I've decided to cut this topic into two episodes, two parts. So we have part one coming out today and part two will be out in a couple of weeks. So you can, you can look for the overwhelming task of choosing a curriculum part two to come out and we're going to discuss some specific types of homeschooling curriculum, not just teaching styles and learning styles, but the actual way that uh, programs are put together, uh, different companies, uh, some reviews on some different companies. So you kind of know what you're getting into when you go into them. In the meantime, June is coming up. And I don't know about you guys, but in the state of Pennsylvania, we are able to start counting our 180 days of school beginning July 1st. And we have until June 30th the following year to have everything finished up. Most families that I know, including our own, try and get everything done by the end of May and take June off. This year I decided I'm not going to fully take June off. I'd like to do some school through the summer, and June is not going to be an exception. We're going to be doing some school. One of the things I wanted to try was a unit study, and I was talking with a friend of mine here, and she and I decided to do it together. So what we're going to do is Frog and Toad Together by Arnold Noble, we are going to work through that book and have our kids read through it. And I have a study guide that I found. We're going to go through this book with the study guide and use it as a unit study. So there's going to be some character building. There's going to be some writing projects. There's going to be some art projects. There's some cooking projects, some math, some, uh, did I already say writing? There's some writing as well. And I'm going to add some elements, some science elements as well. Um, I'm, I really love Osborne's beginner reader series and they have a really great one about frogs and tadpoles. So we're going to study the life cycle of frogs as well. So if you are interested in joining us in this, I am going to put together a resource list and a lesson plan and throw it up on my uh, website. So I will share it on all of my socials as well. So if you follow me at Four and Toe Podcast on Facebook or Instagram, or you can find me my website, fourintopodcast.com, find my blog posts I'm going to be posting hopefully the day after I get this podcast out. So it should be up Monday, May 20th. I should have it up. I'm hoping. So life happens here at this house sometimes and things don't go out as planned, but that's the goal. So follow me on the socials and you'll be able to find it. Uh, And I'm going to get a hashtag for us. So I've decided on FIT pod together. And if you use that hashtag, we're going to be posting our study in June, our unit study in June. 
Um, and you get to see kind of what we're, what we're doing. And then if you use the hashtag too, we get to see what you're doing and kind of encourage each other and help each other along, um, in the, in a fun June unit study. This is ideal for grades one through three. At this point, that's the ages that I'm teaching. So I don't have a lot of experience for older kids, but if you have older kids, um, I would love to know what you would do in a situation where you have youngers and olders. So what do you do if you have kids with such a wide age range? and you use something like frog and toad together for your youngers, what do you do with your olders? Do they study along with you in a unit study situation, or do you give them something entirely different? Thanks for joining me on another adventure episode of Foreign Toe Podcast. I'm so, so grateful that you stopped by and t- took a listen. If you love what you hear, like and subscribe. We'd love to have some followers on our podcast on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you are listening to the podcast today. So join us next time when we go into part two of the overwhelming task of choosing a curriculum. Homeschool moms, you're not alone and you've got this. You've got this. I feel like I need to give a benediction, but that's totally not me. So, (laughs) all right. So... I I honestly love you guys. I know I don't really have a following yet, but I love homeschool moms. If you're a homeschool mom, I love you. Even though we've never met, I love you. (laughs) Have a wonderful weekend and a great next week of training and study with your children. Trash that audio. Holy shit. Minute 14.